Welcome back to your province, your premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator, and every Saturday morning at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day. This is your opportunity, though, to speak with the Premier directly, to ask questions, to voice your concerns, whatever's on your mind, please keep it short and respectful. Premier Danielle Smith wants to hear from you. You can call or text in Calgary, the number is 403-974-8255. At Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Premier Smith, welcome to the show. Hello, Wayne. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, same to you. So uh, three quick things, and then I'll, I'll, I'm going to change format just a little bit. All right. Passage of the Alberta Sovereignty within a United Canada Act. A new poll from Angus Reid, which includes concern about health care and the police oversight body. So let's start with the passage of the act, uh, some 18 hours of debate. Now, this wasn't the original document as first presented. It was tweaked, just one amendment, I believe. Now, it still has its critics. The NDP's Sarah Hoffman stated, quote, it hurts our economy and it's damaging to our national and our international reputation, unquote. On the other hand, a popular Edmonton columnist says, quote, none of the powers it supposedly gives the province are new, unquote, that the biggest issue was its chaotic launch that you and your team should have done a better job working out the talking points ahead of time. So divergent opinions, but I think the bigger question now is what's next regarding the act? Well, here, uh, here's what I would say is that I think every Albertan knows that we need to push back against Ottawa, that Ottawa has taken actions that have created this investment and economic chaos that we're talking about. The, the fact that we've seen multiple major projects canceled, capital flight, a loss of jobs, and it's been taking place for the last seven years. So everyone knows that we need to push back against Ottawa to tell them to stay in their own lane, allow us to develop our resources, and let's get back to cooperative federalism where they respect our jurisdiction. So I think that that is what people want. Now, whether or not they agree that my sovereignty act within a United or sovereignty for Alberta within the United Canada Act is the right way to do it, I think I still have to do a little bit more work convincing people. But we've tried lots of things in the past, and none of it has worked. So we had to. Try had to try something new, all right. and that's what this is all about now you've only got until may to show voters here in alberta how it's going to be used to prove to your critics how the act will work in practice or will it be used or i, I wouldn't think that you can just sit back now and say well we've done it come on ottawa make your move well you know what i hope i don't have to use it in the same way that when they passed the turn off the taps act that they hoped that they never had to use it sometimes you put these things forward that uh, to allow for a point of leverage so that you can start a new conversation and a new relationship and that's what this is all about whether it was when jason kenny went to quebec to try to get some agreement on lng export or whether it was the equalization referendum we've been trying time and time and time again to get ottawa's attention well now we have their attention now we can restart the conversation and i was actually pleased to see Prime Minister Justin Trudeau say he's not looking for a fight. That's good because it means that we can sit down and talk about our goals that we want to reach and how we're going to reach them. Quebec is going to reach their emissions targets in a very different way than Alberta is going to reach our emissions targets. But if we agree on the same goal, then then they should give us the latitude to be able to get there our own way. That's what I'm hoping will happen. All right. Let's switch attention now to this uh, latest Angus Reid poll that came out this week. It shows basically the UCP and the NDP statistically tied in voter intent, but there are some different priorities among 
supporters. UCP supporters are concerned about inflation, energy policy, the economy before health care. But for NDP supporters, health care is the overwhelming issue, then followed by inflation. So why such a difference and how do you intend to address it to close that gap? I think in, in the conservative circles, we know that if you've got a good paying job, then a lot of things fall into place for you. If you're employed and you're secure and your income is going up, then you can pay your bills, you can take care of your family, you can contribute to your community. I think perhaps that might explain one of the differences. The other thing too, of course, is that we put forward our um, our Inflation uh, Protection Act, which gives people who are the most vulnerable the, the supports for the next six months, starting in January, $100 a month to help defray the cost of inflation. So I think people are paying attention to those two things. But and, I think- the poll suggests, uh, Premier Smith, the poll suggests, though, that re- reaction to that uh, has been lukewarm at best. Oh, no. The uh, Inflation Adjustment or the, the Inflation Act has been uh, very widely supported. We've got, uh, we've got our own polling that we have shown that the only be- question people have is whether it doesn't go far enough for, for some targeted groups. And we're listening to that. We know that uh, our post-secondary students need some help with student loans, so we're looking at how we might be able to address that. We know that there are low-income families without kids and low-income singles. And so we're looking at ways that, that we can provide some more support. We're still going to be giving the relief on on uh, electricity, the protection on natural gas and home heating, as well as the reprieve on gasoline and and diesel prices. But uh, I think the only complaint was with the act was that perhaps it didn't go far enough, but but clearly we're supporting seniors, families with children, people on Asian PDD and income supports. We're we're also indexing all of those important programs. And I I think it's going to make a big difference. When I've seen some of the analysis, for instance, from some of the economists, that those are the kind of things you need to do to really shift the curve back on people and the in the day-to-day expenses that they have and that's what we wanted to do we didn't want to provide a, a, a lump sum support one time in january that might have fueled more inflation we wanted it to be staged we wanted it to be focused and so that's what we uh, what we what we achieved and i think it's got widespread widespread uh support for it but now let's, let's talk about healthcare do. if we could um yes. hospitalizations of children particularly uh, a big concern right now with all the respiratory illnesses going on and 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 the angus reed poll again you've got the ndp supporters say health care is the overwhelming issue and you know, you pick up a newspaper, uh, uh, turn on the internet uh, uh, for your paper, uh, digital papers, and that's what the headlines are t- talking about: is is healthcare, not just in Alberta, but across the country, but specifically here in Alberta, hospitalizations of kids with respiratory illnesses. Hundred percent agree. It's why it was my very first act as premier, even before I got elected in the by-election, was that we. Uh, we, we identified that we needed to make some leadership changes. And so we've made some leadership changes in some key roles. Most specifically is that we made the change to the uh, to Alberta Health Services leadership with uh, Dr. John Cowell being put in as official administrator. Now, he's been on the job for three weeks and already we're beginning to have some some impact. One of the things that we've done is that at the Children's Hospital, we've, we've put in a fast track because a lot of parents come into a Children's Hospital because the Walk-in clinics are closed or their doctor's office are closed and they need medication to help their kids with fever. And so we've put in a fast track to allow for those very quick, urgent needs to be dealt with in a streamlined way. We have have also uh, started work on uh, restructuring uh, EMS because we know that that is another area where we have to make sure that when people get picked up by an ambulance, that they get dropped off efficiently. And you probably saw earlier this week we um, we, we went out into into the broader market to see if we could source some children's uh, cold and flu medication. 
with acetaminophen and ibuprofen. And we and our EHS procurement department, uh, they're, they're one of the best in the country. They managed to find 5 million bottles and we're working with Health Canada to get those final approvals to bring them in. Because if parents know that they can get the medication to bring the fever down, then it will take the pressure off our hospitals. Right. It's just been a confluence of factors we've been dealing with at once. Okay, let's go to the phones. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Richard first, uh, calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Richard. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, Premier. Hi, Richard. Hi. Uh, your threshold, that really, really missed the mark. You've got $180,000 and under, right? But yeah. the threshold should be 60000 because anybody who makes $170,000, $180,000 a year doesn't need it. But you neglected. The threshold should be $60,000 and the single or common law single people that are low income earners should be getting that check. But the way you've got it is they get nothing and the 180,000 and under get it. Thanks. Thanks for your comments, Richard. We, we do know that um, even singles and couples will get $900 worth of relief when you factor in the support that we're giving on our electricity and natural gas pr price protection, as well as the uh, the gasoline and diesel reprieve, but I have heard that that uh, that that uh, that comment, and so we are we're looking at it. I've asked our inflation and afford uh, pardon me our affordability and utilities minister Matt Jones to see if there's some way that we can get targeted to support. Uh, to some of the the low income seniors and couples who don't have kids and who aren't over age 65. We wanted to make sure that we were addressing the most urgent needs. And I think we did that with our first round, but if there's more to do, we'll, we'll see if we can expand the program, but uh, he's got to, he's got to crunch some numbers on that first. Yeah. No, we got about 30 seconds. I'll make it real quick. How did you come up with $180,000, uh, Premier Smith? That was what we've been negotiating with the federal government on the daycare program, because we, we know that families, middle income families with, with many kids, $180,000 when you think Think of what your take home is and the extra cost of childcare, cost of mortgages, uh, extra cost of feeding all of those extra mouths. That's what they came up with as the, the support level for subsidized daycare. So that's why we, we applied that. All right. We're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Chad, right here in Calgary on 770 CHQR. This is your opportunity to be heard by the Premier to chat one-on-one -on -one with Premier Danielle Smith. So let's get right to those phones. Ernest has been hanging on for a little bit now. So uh, Ernest calling from Edmonton on seniors property tax. Go ahead, Ernest. You're on with Premier Smith. Yes, good morning, Premier Smith. Uh, once again, congratulations on your win, and I hope to see you for many years to come. Anyway, Thanks, Ernest. I hear a lot of times you uh, talking about uh, that, what you're trying to do for seniors, and we really appreciate it. I would like to bring up something. Uh, what they do in B.C. is they have a, ta a property tax deferral. That uh, they, For them, it starts at 55, but, I mean, you could do it at 65 here. Uh, I'd like somebody on your staff to look into this please and see if it's viable for alberta if bc can do it i don't know why they cannot do it here in alberta and uh, i'd really like for you to look into that a lot of seniors, and this is a voluntary program uh, i have two brothers in bc one hasn't 
one went with that program like for the last 10 years and he did sell his property this year and that's when he paid it and the other one never did so it's voluntary but it can really help out seniors especially those on fixed incomes it's a great thanks so much Thanks so much for that, Ernest. Um, and the answer is done. I think we already do that on education property tax. The uh, the issue is, uh, is that also available on the municipal portion of the property tax bill? And I don't know the answer to that, but I was just given a, a presentation this week where we were talking about this program and extending it. And so let, let me see what I can do to see if there's some way that we can get partnerships with the municipalities if they don't have that. But you're quite right. It allows for our seniors who might be facing a bit of a, 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 a income a crunch to be able to push it off to the end so that when they sell their home, then the property tax gets paid out of the proceeds from their houses and it allows them to stay in place. So it may be that it's just not widespread enough or maybe it's not wide, widely known, but I did just receive a, a, um, a an update on it this week. So I, I know that we've got something in place for the, the portion that we charge. Let me see if I can do more to find out if there's a way, way to make it more broadly available. All right. Dennis has texted in on the uh, QR text line and he says, how many years will it take Premier Smith to pay off our debt you know what i would love to see um is a, a debt elimination strategy that uh, will be in our budget in february and we're working on those numbers the the other part though that i want to make sure we're balancing is i would like to see our heritage savings trust fund go back to the original model as well we were supposed to be putting aside a third of our royalty revenues to grow that and maintain the investment income so i think we need two strategies and then of course since i think we're going to be doubling our population by 2050 we have to make sure that we have infrastructure to keep up with that so we'll still need to have roads and schools and hospitals so I want to see if we can balance all three of those. When it comes to debt repayment, uh, I get, based on the, the payment that we're putting down this year, we'll be taking the debt down to $79 billion. Remember, it was going in the wrong direction. We were pretty close to going over $100 billion. So with the finance minister, Travis Taves, setting aside $13.4 billion so that that money is able to pay be paid as it comes due, we're heading in the right direction. We just have to keep the we have to keep those royalty revenues rolling in, continue to support our industry and make sure that we're managing them properly. And I would, I would hope that, um, that, that we'll be able to, to uh, answer that question with a little bit more clarity once we, once we see what, the, what that looks like in the long term um, right. after we, we put the budget out in February. Chris has texted in on the Chad line uh, two questions. How can you expedite an LNG project to meet European and Chinese demand? And how will you win in Calgary? Those are two big questions. So sure the LNG, uh, I'm going to I'm going to be going to Germany and Poland in January to see if we can find what it is that they need. I mean, it seems like what's happening with other jurisdictions is that they develop a long-term contract, and in developing that long-term contract, that allows you to monetize the stream to be able to get the the project built. And so for us, we're going to have to work in partnership with our other jurisdictions, whether it's uh, using the existing a pipeline infrastructure to get our our product to the Great Lakes and then out, or whether it's working with our northern partners to get something up through the Yukon and out through Skagway, or whether it's expanding the pipeline options going going south or to British Columbia. All of this is going to require discussions with our First Nations and Métis to see if they'll work with us on establishing those corridors. But the first step is, is finding out the nature of the demand, and then uh, we'll be working to see if we can find a, a fast track to get some uh, at least one or more of those projects built. And how will you win in Calgary? 
Oh, and how will we win in Calgary? Well, I can tell you what I hear in Calgary. Calgary Calgarians are very concerned about healthcare, about affordability, about making sure that our jobs and economy continue to grow. And when we had our caucus retreat, those were the, the uh, in addition to standing up to Ottawa, those were the three priorities that, that we were told to focus on. So I, I think, honestly, that we'll be judged based on how, uh, how much more stability we can bring to the healthcare system. Remember what I inherited when I came in. I inherited uh, stories of people waiting 29 hours in an emergency room and waiting in the back of an ambulance for, for uh, longer than eight hours. And our, and our paramedics, our frontline paramedics, spending entire shifts at emergency rooms because they couldn't offload patients. And we have a surgical backlog that is 69,000 long. So when I look at how I think we're going to be judged in the next election, it's going to be on the progress that we, we make on those three things. It's part of the reason I had to take the action that I did in bringing through an official administrator. And I think I'm seeing some encouraging signs already that he's identified some of the problems and we're going to be moving on fixing them. All right, back to the phones. Dave calling in from Calgary on the uh, Sovereignty Act. Go ahead, Dave. You're on with Premier Smith. Uh, good morning, Premier. Hi. Hi. I'm, I'm interested in what specific changes were made during uh, debate in the legislature and the passing of the Sovereignty Act and how the remedies for the province under the Sovereignty, Sovereignty Act differ from those under the conventional path of challenging federal actions and legislation through the courts. Uh, and also, why were there only 34 MLAs total in, in the legislature when this was passed? Uh, I will appreciate your comments, Premier. Yeah, sure. A couple things. So the two amendments were to just clarify uh, what 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 constituted harm as one of the things that might bring forward a motion. I think it was uh, a little. It was perceived to be a bit too broad. So we made it clear that we are going to be judging harm based on it violating the constitution and our protections um, and our division of powers, and violating the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So it's very narrow. The second one was, I think, the way it was originally drafted. It was to come into the leg legislature and get pre-approval to pass certain statutes and then give cabinet the ability to go away and change those statutes. And that's that. I, I think the intention for that was, was to make sure that we got the pre-approval. But the, the way it should have been written is that if there was statutory changes that were needed, it should come back to the legislature. So we, we made sure that we are starting the process by the legislature directing cabinet to take action to push back against Ottawa. And if there's statutory changes, it has to return. So those were the changes that were made. There were 34 MLAs in the legislature. It's just the way the, um, the legislature works is that we don't have people sitting around the clock. We have duty duty time. So uh, everybody has to take a shift and they do, they do the same thing on the opposite side in the NDP. So this bill passed at one o'clock in the morning. And so I uh, went home, had a few hours of shut eye and then came came and voted on it myself, as did a few of my other ML, uh, my other colleagues. The um, uh, and the and How does this differ from the conventional path? Well, I think what happens in the conventional path is that we sit back and we wait for Ottawa to pass offensive legislation and then we challenge it in the court. What this does is that when we start hearing that the federal government is planning on passing policy that violates our rights, we're going to debate it in the legislature. And there's a few things that I'm worried that I'm going to have to use this on. Number one is that they have been talking about bringing through an aggressive emissions cap applying only to our oil and natural gas business that would reduce emissions 42% by 2030. If you talk to anyone in the energy sector, they say it'll be devastating to investment. That would be one where I'd say, don't do that because that's not your jurisdiction. It's, it will be a de facto production cap and it will violate our rights. Same thing on their aggressive action that they've talked about for fertilizer reduction. They want to reduce 
emissions 30%, which is also unachievable. They've also want to reduce methane emissions just on our oil and natural gas industry, 75% in that same period of time, also unachievable. They want to uh, start putting a, a, a plan in place to add protected areas to 30% of Alberta's land by 2030, which also, until we develop our economic corridors, could interfere with our future development. So the federal government is using environmental legislation to violate our provincial rights. And we've just said, whoa, stop doing that. We've so, put up a shield and let's talk about how we can get to the targets in a way that doesn't harm our economy. Right. And so by debating it in the legislature before any of the federal mandates come down, it's really a warning to Ottawa that, hey, if you persist in this action, you will be subject to a, a, a fight in, in, in the courts, basically. 100%. And, right. and that's what I'm hoping it will happen is that they will then come to the table and say we recognize and it's already worked. Uh, Stephen Gibault, I think I mentioned this on one of the earlier shows when he was at COP27 and he was asked to sign that final communique to phase out oil and natural gas. He said, I can't do it because that would be a violation of our constitution. This is provincial rights. We'd face a legal challenge that we would not win. Sometimes putting it out in the table and letting people know that you're prepared to fight, it changes the conversation and allows you to move to, to cooperative federalism, which is where we want to get to. And that's the point that uh, I think that we talked about on our last show, Premier Smith, is that the average Albertan, there was a, a comment, uh, I think it was a, uh, from Leger, that the average Albertan just doesn't get it why this uh, Sovereignty Act is so important, and and that's why it's, as you call it, it's a shield. I I would suggest it's a little bit more saber rattling. Well, let me tell you how it could have been used in the past. So, how many people love the fact that they are now having to use paper straws? I can tell you because I have a restaurant, and when you're trying to give a kid a root beer float, you have to plan to give them four paper straws because they get so destroyed. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been better in advance for us to say, hold on a second? We can recycle plastics our own way, a different way, without without identifying things that just don't make sense and get people talking about it in advance and then be able to develop a policy about around recycling that makes sense. Instead, we sat back, we waited for the federal government to pass policy. They identified six single uses of plastic and uh, and, and some of them are idiotic. And now we're fighting it in court to get those, those, uh, those to be able to get that power back. Wouldn't it have been better if we hadn't allowed them to take the power away from us in the first place? That I think it would have. And that's, those are the things that we're looking for. Yeah, being proactive. All right, back to the phones. Uh, Brian calling in from Calgary on a healthcare question. Go ahead, Brian. You're on with Premier Smith. Morning, Premier. Thanks for taking my Hi. call. Uh, I have a couple suggestions on the healthcare front. Uh, first of all, there's a book called Patients at Risk, uh, written by a, a female Canadian journalist whose name, of course, I've forgotten, but uh, you can Google it up. It's a really eye-opening piece on the problem of the Canadian healthcare system, not just in Alberta, but a, across the country, full of anecdotal examples of crazy wait times for uh, certain surgeries. I think it should be mandatory reading for all of your, your MPPs. That would be my first suggestion. Uh, secondly, uh, I spent 37 years in the oil and gas business, and I worked for a company that grew by acquisition and merger. And in that process, uh, we inherited a bunch of redundant and duplicative processes. So in business, uh, what we did was uh, got together some knowledgeable people, facilitated by a consultant, and did something called business process reengineering, or BPR. I think we can apply that same concept to the healthcare 
uh, business here in, in Alberta. We call it patient process reengineering, where we get frontline people together, facilitated by a process to define existing processes and uh, uncover all of the redundancy and duplication that our current healthcare system uh, has within it. Uh, I've spoken to a number of nurses and some doctors, and one of the frustrations they have that's common is processes that don't make sense. And you talked a little bit earlier in your call, uh, in your show today, about the ambulance that's being held up at hospitals. I mean, that's a single process that if you take a good close look at it, I'm sure there are logical solutions to not tying up our uh, EMT people two by two uh, for hours at emergency. All right. Thank you, Brian. Uh, so I wrote down the name of his book, Patients at Risk. Thank you for the suggestion. And you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly why Dr. John Cowell is the right person to be our official administrator, is even though he's a medical doctor, he was also at NOVA and also was the head of work, Workers' Compensation Board. So he often tells me, yeah, I understand and I can speak the medical language, but I bring a business mindset to the job at, at hand. And I think that Brian's exactly right. When we smooshed together all of the regions, there were nine regions that were brought into one. Um, they never did that kind of consolidation that he's talking about. They never said, okay, well, we've got nine different processes. How do we make sure that we don't have that duplication? And that's been the nature of the problem is that it was never, that it was never really a, a successful merger because the whole point of doing that merger was to eliminate some of the unnecessary administration. And that's what we're working on now. It's going to take, it's going to take years to do, quite frankly, because this is not the kind of business that can be done easily. But we're identifying some of those issues and solving them. And I'll give you an example. We, we've got uh, this term for, uh, called non-ambulance transfer. So what, ha what has happened in, a, in the healthcare system is that when somebody needs to come into Calgary for a medical appointment, we're using a, an emergency ambulance to bring them into Calgary. And I've seen this in Medicine Hat. I've seen this in High River. Anyone who lives in, in rural Alberta will, will see this. But what happens is by bringing the patient in to drop them off for an appointment in Calgary, all of a sudden they become part of the ambulance dispatch vortex and they never get to return home to their home community. And the simple solution is, well, why don't we have a different type of vehicle that will bring them into Calgary, a non-ambulance transfer? And we have all kinds of vehicles that can be suited up to make sure that we've got people with basic first aid who can do those routine transfers. That's, that's going to make an enormous difference in making sure that we keep ambulances in their home communities. We've already got a couple of pilot projects out there, but that's one of the things that Dr. Cowell has identified that will make it one of the biggest differences. And there's a, probably a hundred other examples of that. The main thing is, We've got to free up the folks on the front line and say, you've got the solutions. We're looking for solutions. We will say yes. Just tell us your ideas. I think everybody has gotten to the point over the last number of years where everything had to go up to a single manager before it would get approved. So now we've got to exercise those decision-making muscles. And I think our front lines are going to come up with a lot of the solutions that Brian mentioned. Okay, let's go back to the phones. Ron calling in from Calgary. Go ahead, Ron. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Thank you for considering my question. It's actually for both of you. The topic is language manipulation in politics and on environmental issues. Some examples. It took the Alberta oil and gas industry about a decade to get people to switch from tar sands to oil sands, and it'll likely take another decade to get to bitumen mining. 
Nowadays, we don't seem to have any forest fires. The climate change alarmists refer to them as wildfires so that they can more easily blame the fires on climate change. Will global warming soon be replaced by global burning? <laughs> so my question is, how can we tactfully deal with these many language aggressions and language manipulations so that we don't drift into the polarized vomit politics of the USA? <laughs> Ron, thanks for your comment. I don't know that I have the answer to that, but I think you're you're very right about how the language changes. And we've just got to be more precise in our language. I think we're making some good strides in talking about carbon technology and talking about hydrogen. And if we, we just have to proactively push our message out. Okay. Uh, I was just busy on uh, some text uh, responses, uh, Premier Smith, and uh, I want to go to uh, QR. Uh, here's one. Will the UCP MLAs apologize to Albertans for the medical segregation they brought to Alberta with the VAX pass, restrictions, excessive isolation, and the discrimination they allowed by other parties, such as deregistering unvaccinated post-secondary students, children excluded from sports by cities, uh, I sadly cannot vote for my MLA without knowing if he regrets his discriminatory actions or if he is just a yes man unwilling to stand up for his constituents. And that comes from Nicole in Calgary. Well, thanks, Nicole. You know, I have apologized on on behalf of my caucus. And, um, and I, what I would say is that we were taking the recommendations of the experts. We um, had the chief medical officer of health in that office guiding a lot of this response. We were told AHS had it. We had to be hands off. And so we deferred to that. And I think it's part of the reason why you're seeing the changes that you are, is that we have changed to the leader of our party. There have been some key leadership changes that have happened within our caucus. We've changed the leadership at, at the chief medical officer of health. We've changed the leadership at the at Alberta Health Services. So I'm, I'm just not going to defer on these issues anymore. I'm going to seek broader medical advice, and we're going to make sure that we're getting good answers. Um, in addition, we gave Alberta Health Services wide latitude and lots of money to make the decisions they needed to to increase surge capacity, and they didn't do it. And this is the reason why we have an official administrator in, in there. So I, uh, I, I have some sympathy for the, the fact that a lot of our elected members felt powerless because we were, we were told to rely on the experts. The experts let us down. And so now we're going to give more direction to make sure this doesn't happen again. All right. Text message coming in from Chad Edmonton. Jason Kenney gave $1 billion plus to TMC and said it will be returned. How is that coming along? You know, I should have a look at that. One of the things that I'm interested in doing is I'm, I'm going to take a trip to, to Washington. We've got a, a really great advocate there in our office in James Rajad. But all of the governors are having a conference in February. So I'm hoping to be able to make some bilateral connections with, um, with those who look at the world the same way we do. And there's a lot of, uh, I think, fellow travelers in, in uh, some of the American governor's offices that I think we can have some really good relationships with. But more broadly, I, I have had a, an opportunity in the past to talk to some of the uh, the key people in the in the U.S. Uh, and uh, 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 Foreign Service, and one of the things I, I asked is: Is there any opportunity, if we were to look at that 
right-of-way that was established for Keystone? What if we were to talk about natural gas? What if we were to talk about hydrogen? Is there some way now that all the hard work has been done in, in identifying that route? Maybe if we put a different product in there, could we? Could that be the basis to restart the conversation? And I didn't have the door slammed in my face. And so that's part of what I'm looking at. Is there some other way that we would be able to, to continue doing that kind of investment in an area where we know that the Americans um, have, a, have a great need and where we might have some alignment. So I'm going to continue to push that forward. That would be one. The second thing is I, be, I believe that we are looking at doing a legal challenge under NAFTA because our company was given every indication it was going to go ahead and they pulled the rug out of us, out from under it at the last minute. And so I think that that's uh, another legal challenge that we've taken forward. Some of those things take a little bit of time, but we're going to try a two-track approach. Okay, Steve, calling from Calgary. Electrical demand. Go ahead, Steve. You're on with Premier Smith. Yeah, every phone in Alberta has the emergency alert system. So if it's a tornado or criminal or child missing, we all get the alert. But a couple of times recently during the cold snap, we were reaching uh, our maximum uh, demand. And I thought uh, if you could put out two messages, uh, plan A, um, start shutting stuff down, or plan B, listen, if it's rolling brownouts you seek, we'll accommodate you. And then everybody knows to start shutting stuff down, and we can meet them halfway. Steve, that sounds like stats, Steve, back from the days that I was on radio. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. I, uh, I and I, I understand where Steve's coming from, and he's quite right. Uh, there are two times when we got to minus twenty five Celsius that we got tight on the power grid. I just got a briefing about it yesterday, so I'm talking to Matt Jones, my affordability and utilities minister, as well as Pete Guthrie, who is our energy minister, to make sure that we've got. Uh, some some backup plans in place to ensure that that we're able to address those issues. Part of it involves um, our intertie capacity, bringing more power up from British Columbia as, as well as from Montana. Uh, another part of it involves making sure that we have got a steady supply of natural gas so that natural gas doesn't get tight. Remember, part of the issue that we're facing is that we had an early phase out of our coal plants. That's cost us $4 billion. It's what's going into the, the uh, cost of our electricity. And it's part of the reason why we've created or why the previous government created so much instability is that those those plants, one of them, Key Pills, had only been in operation six months and then it had to be repurposed and retooled to support natural gas. And so we've got to make sure that all of the natural gas that is needed to power those plants is available. So we'll be talking with the industry to make sure that we've got a backup plan on that. But um, but do know that it's, it's top of mind for everybody, especially as we are anticipating a, a pretty cold winter season. And I hope we don't get to the point that Steve mentioned, that we, we have to be asking people to power down. I don't want to see uh, rolling brownouts. We should be trying to avoid that. We are a natural gas basin. We have, we have most of our power is on natural gas. We, we need to figure out if there are bottlenecks to make sure that we can uh, address that so we don't get to that point. All right. Lots of calls uh, still on hold. Lots of text messages. I'm trying to get to them all. If you are trying to uh, phone or text, those numbers, 403-974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton, 780-496-0063. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier, your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith 
one-on-one. If you've got a specific question you'd like the Premier to answer, you know what the numbers are, and we've got a full slate of calls to get to. We'll start off with David from Edmonton with a municipalities question. Go ahead, David. You're on with Premier Smith. From on the way, not Edmonton, but still. I have a comment and two quick questions. One, try to get pipelines through Indigenous property, First Nations property, because I understand there is somebody in northern Alberta who's already organizing that sort of thing. It would take it out of the control of the feds. Secondly, if people write to your your office or minister's office, would you please make sure they get an answer? Not too bad, so sad, we're too busy. But my major question is, at this moment in time, we are subsidizing people, poorer people, hopefully, um, who are having trouble with their utility bills, and yet the municipalities, some of the municipalities that supply those services are actually making a profit on it. To me, that doesn't seem right. He's absolutely right. (laughs) There's a couple of things that we're, we're paying attention to. One of the things is that some municipalities set their municipal tax. It's sort of a municipal franchise fee, if you look at your bill. They base it on the uh, price of the regulated rate, and the regulated rate is set to spike to 29 cents. So when the rate goes up, that means the amount of taxes go up too. That that's a real problem. And then in a in addition to that, uh, they you're 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 right as well. When they make a profit, they they do turn over a dividend to the the ratepayers under those that are municipally owned. So my um, my utilities and affordability minister Matt Jones, we're working on ways that we can we can address both of those issues. And we've just sat down this week in consultation with some of the the, the retailers to see how how we can how we can uh, make some changes there. So there'll be more to come, but it's very much on our radar. All right, text message. Heritage Fund restoration, health care, education, and infrastructure need a substantial boost right now. How can we sit on all that money when there's so much need right now? Well, look, um, we, we have to pay down debt. There, there's just no two ways about it. Uh, one of the things that I valued about the, time, the times of Ralph Klein is that we were debt-free. And it's remarkable to me how quickly that got thrown out the window. We were on our way to $100 billion worth of debt at a time when interest rates are going up. And when you have that kind of debt, it ends up creating finance charges that become increasingly unaffordable. I believe that we are already at $2.5 billion a year in interest payments. So once we start paying that debt down, it frees up those dollars so that we can put in to the investments in, in our operating. We just can't keep on spending windfall surpluses on increased operating expenses. We, we've got to figure out a better strategy to manage those dollars. Part of it is paying down debt, so we have fewer finance charges. Part of it is putting money into the Heritage Savings Trust Fund so that we can generate more investment income. And part of it is building that infrastructure that is so needed because those are one-time expenses. So I, I know it's a bit frustrating um, and there is a, there is, uh, there's lots of calls on dollars when, when we end up with surpluses. But to be responsible, we've got to make sure that we don't just increase spending so that if those dollars fall off again, that we end up in exactly the same position that we were in before. And that's what we're trying to balance. All right. Diane calling in from Calgary on gas prices go ahead diane hi so the the barrel um the oil uh, price uh, this week dropped down to 74 dollars u.s which is roughly 50 dollars canadian uh you've taken the four cents that was added by kenny off Uh, we had 13 cents taken off in, in april none of the gas station retailers 
are taking that off. And in Calgary alone, if you live on the north side, you're paying 129, 131 a liter. If you live in the south side, you're paying anywhere between 108 to 121. Outside of the city, you're paying a lot less. And I know that Mr. Kenny said that he was going to watch uh, carefully what they were going to be doing and go after them. But nobody from the government has actually gone after these major station retailers and uh, people are still suffering. So you're giving them the tax break that they're supposed to pass on to us, and it isn't occurring. Well, let me go, let's go back to Minister Dale Nally and see if that is the case, because we've, we've had active conversations uh, about that, uh, that very issue at Cabinet and at caucus, because we are bringing through um, a, a bigger rebate starting in January, and we want to make sure that it does get passed on. So the, the wholesale prices are public, and I, I know that everyone's alive to this issue. I, I would say look at what the gas prices are in other provinces as a, a measure of whether those, pa- those, those, those uh, dollars are getting passed through. And so um, if there's a problem there, I'll, I'll just make sure that Minister Nally is aware of it and, and, and looks into it because that's, what we're object- that's the objective we're trying to achieve. We want to give them the break so it gets passed on to you, the consumer. All right. My challenge today, Premier Smith, is trying to address all of the text messages and all the calls coming in and and a variety of topics, too. So here's one that relates back to something that you uh, mentioned earlier on today's show. Uh, This is a text message. Please post paramedics in hospitals so an ambulance can drop patients off and in care of a hospital paramedic. That's Mark's suggestion. 100%. 100%. It's either going to be teams of paramedics or nurse practitioners. Nurse practitioners are trained to a higher level because they go the general practitioner route, but on the nursing side, or doctors as well. Those are the kind of things that we're experimenting with in, in, in various ERs so that when somebody comes in, there's a fast track so they can be seen, treated, and released, or so that when an ambulance comes in, there's a, a highly trained personnel who are able to, to hand off those high acuity patients. So we're about to begin seeing the um, some of the stats to, to help measure that. Our objective is that every ambulance should be able to drop a patient off, leave and get back out into the field within 45 minutes. So I've begun asking our department in Alberta Health Services to start assembling those statistics. And as we get them and start making some improvement, we'll be revealing those to the public. They just need a little bit of time as they put that together. But I'm I'm completely on board with the suggestion. That's exactly what we have to do. All right. Just a couple minutes left in the show. We're going to go to Murray in Edmonton. Go ahead, Murray. You're on with Premier Smith. Hello, Premier. Uh, I work with homeless people downtown Edmonton every day. I walk by a building. We're lucky to have a building in Edmonton on 97th Street and 104th Avenue, owned by the Alberta government. Eight stories, complete kitchen, auditorium, gymnasium, over 60 offices, etc. It's owned by the Alberta government. It's boarded up. It's been Mm -hmm. boarded up for seven years. Could we please open that building up and call it the Northern Alberta Addictions and Mental Health Centre? And my supplemental would be, could Alberta develop our own vagrancy law giving law enforcement the tool to take people to this facility that are hurting and it's not jail it's a care facility the building that i'm referring to is the old edmonton remand center empty 400 beds empty thoughts 
Murray, thank you for your thoughts on that. I, I, ha- I asked that exact question as soon as I got elected because I wondered if we could do exactly the same thing. I think the problem with the remand center is that it's going to, to take tens of millions of dollars and several years worth of upgrades before it gets to the p- point where we can reopen it. And so we're, we're doing an alternative, and the alternative is building recovery communities. We've got the first one that will be opening up in Red Deer later this month, but we've got the budget for, I believe, six or seven other facilities, a couple in Calgary and a couple in Edmonton. But Murray, you're, you're exactly on the right track of what we're doing, is that we believe everybody has a, should have a chance to go into recovery and addiction treatment so that they can get well. And that is part of the reason why we've taken the approach that we have. And it's already, it's, it's, it's working. We're beginning to see a massive reduction in opioid deaths down 51% year over year, uh, massive reduction in the amount of hospitalization due to opioid poisoning and ambulance uh, delivery due to uh, uh, opioid poisoning. Those are down over 30%. So this is the approach that we're, we, we're about four years into an eight-year plan. I can circle back with our with uh, Marshall Smith, who's been uh, in, as my chief of staff and prior to that chief of staff of the Mental Health and Addictions Minister, to see if there's any way that the remand center could be opened on a temporary basis. But his assessment of it was that it would just be too costly and too late. And we've, we've got to we've got to start looking at additional facilities that are going to be built in a way that will address the need that you're talking about. But we're on the same page on that. Premier Smith, we have run out of time. Once again, it has been a pleasure. Uh, and there are so many texts and, and so many phone calls uh, that still have to be addressed. And I guess the only solution is we'll do this again next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Wayne. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.